chapter number nine of little stories of married life this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c little stories of married life by mary stuart cutting a matrimonial episode it was in the year that dick martindale spent out west in the service of the electrographic company that his wife became acquainted with sarah latimer although the latter was by birth a western girl she had lived long enough in the east to seem like a compatriot to bertha martindale who had come from the dear gregarious suburban life with its commingling of family interest and sympathy to a land peopled thinly with her husband's friends mostly men dick laughingly asserted that she had never forgiven him for his few years of western life previous to their marriage ascribing all his faults of habit and expression to that demoralizing influence and he wondered at her courage in exposing little rich and mary to the chance of acquiring the wide ease and carelessness she objected to in him he had been a little uneasy in view of her previous opinions as to the manner in which she would dispense hospitality in the little furnished house that they hired but he need not have feared bertha had always been used to popularity don't you think i get on well with people she asked like a bird said her husband no but really don't you think i adapt myself you do so much adapting that i'm getting afraid of you don't she put his newspaper one side and kissed him and he submitted to the caress patiently his eyes still following the paragraph on which they had been fixed the two women i really feel at home with she continued musingly are the clergyman's wife who is just a dear poor soul and a living reproach to everyone and sarah latimer i wonder that you never told me about her richard sarah latimer i always thought she was a stick said richard glancing up from the newspaper well she is not at all at any rate she's only the least bit sticky oh i suppose if i were at home i mightn't have taken such a fancy to her but out here and i do think it's pathetic about her how on earth you can discover anything pathetic about sarah latimer bertha beats me that long sandy-haired wisp of a girl let me alone i want to read my paper no she held the paper down with one hand it's really important do listen to me dick i want to do something for her you are doing something for her you have her here morning noon and night she's forever going about with little rich and mary 
People will be taking her for my wife some day. You just see if they don't. I nearly kissed her by mistake for you yesterday. She was right in the way as I came in the door. Now don't feel jealous. No, I won't, said Bertha with indignation. But look here, Dick. I know she is with us a good deal, but I do want to give her a chance. A chance at what? A chance to enjoy herself and to see people and to feel that she's young and oh a chance to get married if you will have me say it i thought so said dick you may as well let her go back to private life bertha she'll never be a success on any stage of that kind i don't believe any man ever wanted to marry her or ever will you can't tell said bertha musingly so many fellows come here i should think some of them might fancy her no they will not said richard deliberately you mark my words that girl will never get married yes i know she's good and she's clever and really not bad-looking either when you take her to pieces but she's not interesting that's the gist of the whole matter and nothing you can say or do will alter that she may not be interesting to you but she is to me returned bertha and that argument goes for nothing dick scores of uninterested girls get married every year here is sarah latimer at thirty or near it with nothing in this world to occupy her or take up her attention her uncle and aunt are very good to her but they don't need her she is rather in the way if anything that big house is all solemnly comfortable and well arranged and oppressively neat the servants have been there for years the furniture was bought in the age when it was made to last and it has lasted the curtains are always drawn in the parlor and if a chink of light comes in mrs latimer draws them closer everything is dim and well preserved and smells stuffy when it doesn't smell of oilcloth it gives me the creeps you are eloquent said richard there is only one place that looks as if it were ever used continued bertha unheeding and that is the sitting-room off the parlor it has a faded green lounge in it and discolored family photographs in oval walnut frames and two big haircloth rockers with tidies on them on either side of the table which holds a lamp a newspaper not a pile of them they are always cleared away neatly and a piece of knitting work here mr and mrs latimer doze all the evening what on earth has this to do with sarah's marriage asked richard everything don't you see that the poor girl is just being choked by degrees it is a case of slow suffocation she lived east after she left school until five years ago and came back to find her girlfriends married and moved away 
people of course sent her invitations and were polite to her but there seemed no particular place for her anywhere she's too clever for most of the men here and her standard is above them she's what i call a very highly educated girl you seem to suit them said richard laughing i'm naturally frivolous said bertha with a sigh but sarah isn't if she only had to work for a living she would be a great success but she has enough of a little income to support her she reads to rich and mary and she is giving music lessons to some little girls just for occupation besides she practices beethoven three hours a day she's making a specialty of the sonatas she reads herbert spencer a great deal and has theories of education and on governing children i'm afraid that neither mr allenton nor your friend dick quimby care about sonatas or herbert spencer not a hang said richard if she could play the banjo or give them a dance by jove i'd like to see sarah latmer dance a richard cried bertha indignantly if you're going to be horrid i'll go away i won't say another word then i'll be horrid for i don't want you to say another word i am dead sick of sarah with her pale moony eyes and her straw-coloured smile send her to jericho and let me read my newspaper and don't embrace me any more you'll muss my hair he turned and kissed his wife as an offset to the words bertha could not help owning to herself that week that sarah was a little heavy she was a tall thin girl with long nose light gray eyes and a quantity of sandy red hair she had no color in her cheeks and she had a peculiar look of withered youth like a bud that the frost has touched beneath that outer crust of primness and shyness there was as bertha had divined an absolutely virginal heart as untried in the ways of love or love's pretense as that of a child of six she had not any real girlhood yet at all while she was apparently long past it bertha wondered at that slow development which occurs much oftener than she dreamed of she asked sarah infatigably to spend the evenings with her on these occasions sarah sat completely appallingly silent amid the jokes and laughter of others bertha had long consultations with her dear friend the clergyman's wife about her she will never like any one who is not on the highest intellectual plane said bertha with a sigh but there's a sort of wistful sentimentality through it all that makes me so sorry it was some days after this that bertha sat one morning cutting out garments for little rich and mary when sarah latimer came in the children greeted her but not effusively they were always instructed to be on their best behavior in her presence 
and regarded her more as an awe-inspiring companion who read to them took them walking and picked up blocks for them than as a friend to be loved she was always oppressively quiet while they chattered sit down sarah said bertha cordially sweeping a pile of cambrics from a chair here's a fan if you want it but you don't look a bit hot you never do i think you're pale this morning aren't you well why yes said sarah slowly her eyes had a dazed look in them and there was an uncertain note in her voice bertha observed her critically sarah's drab gown made with severe plainness took all the life out of her hair and complexion and made her tall figure gaunt bertha cast her brown eyes down at her own lilac muslin overflowing with little rippling frills and fur bellows and sighed a genuine sigh of pity for another woman's misuse of her opportunities what have you been doing lately sarah i haven't seen you for some days nothing much said sarah i expected you yesterday dick quimbley asked why you were not here he asked after you twice lately sarah i think he's beginning to be fond of you because he asked after me twice said sarah perhaps he'll propose to me to-morrow she gave a spasmodic laugh and the color came and went in her face bertha gazed at her in genuine surprise i don't know what's the matter with you sarah she said i'm glad you came in for i wanted to ask you to join us in a little trip to the lakes dick has to go thursday and we have concluded to make up a party we'll be gone a couple of weeks and mr quimby is to join us there i think we'll have a lovely time you're very kind said sarah pulling nervously at her fan but i don't think i can go why not you won't have to dress it's not that the fact is did i ever speak to you of will bronson no who is he i had almost forgotten that myself said sarah until he came to call yesterday i knew him years ago when i was a young girl we went to school together he was a nice boy but i never had much to do with him boys never cared for me as they did for other girls at any rate he came to see us yesterday he lives in idaho he's been out there for a dozen years and he's pretty well off well said bertha expectantly as the other stopped what does he look like oh he's pretty tall and he has a big brown beard i suppose that he is intellectual not a bit he's very very western you think we are western here bertha but we're not and this gentleman stopping with you pursued bertha no he left for new york to-day then why can't you join our party for the lakes because 
the fan dropped from Sarah's fingers. The truth is, Bertha, he asked me to marry him. That's what he came for. What? cried Bertha. He brought some letters to Uncle, went on Sarah, recommendations and all that, and afterwards he spoke to me. He says he's always thought he'd marry me when he had time, but he has never been able to leave the mines before. He has an aunt who lives here, and she has written to him about me sometimes. He has gone on to New York for a week and wants to stop back here over one day to get married and then go straight out to Idaho. He wanted me to answer him yesterday, but I asked him to give me until this morning to make up my mind. And what did you say then? asked Bertha breathlessly. I said yes, said Sarah. Bertha rose up, heedless of all her sewing materials which dropped on the floor, and walking over to Sarah, solemnly embraced her. You are a dear girl, she said. Then she took Sarah's hand in hers solicitously. Haven't you better lie down, Sarah, and let me bathe your forehead and get you a glass of lemonade? I'm not ill, said the girl with a convulsive laugh. You are just shaking all over, said Bertha. And no wonder. Do you think you love him, Sarah? I don't know. Well, are you sure he loves you? He says he does. And does he seem perfectly splendid to you, dear? I guess so, said Sarah. And are you to be married when? A week from today? Oh, what a time you'll have getting your clothes. And to think I'll not be here at the wedding. It's too, too bad. Sarah, I'm delighted with you. I always knew you weren't like other people. Most girls wouldn't have dared. Maybe I wish that I hadn't, said Sarah, and then the dazed, vacant expression came back with the words. Richard and his friends were at first incredulous when Bertha narrated the news to them. Then, to quote Dick's expression, Sarah's stock in the general estimation went up fifty percent. The old girl must have had something jolly about her, after all, he said. You were right this time, Bertha. I met this Bronson once, and he's a good fellow. What a lot of courage he must have. Bertha only met Sarah once after this, before she left for the lakes. She saw the bridegroom's picture, which represented him as a tall, stalwart fellow, with a big beard and merry, honest eyes. Bertha liked the face and felt that it was one that inspired confidence. To think that after all my planning she should have done it just by herself, said Bertha to her husband, and it was such an unlikely thing. It is singular that the world can move without your pushing it, replied her husband with a quizzical smile within a few months the martindales plans were broken up their stay west was no longer necessary and they went back home again 
bertha received one letter from sarah after her marriage a singularly flat and colourless epistle which told nothing bertha had periodical times of wonderment as to sarah's present life and chances of happiness her own short experience of western life resolved itself mainly into a recollection of the girl with whom after all she had been most intimately associated and who had disappeared from her horizon so suddenly and romantically it was not until three years later that she heard of sarah again then she received a note from mrs bronson who it appeared had come east for a few days and was stopping at a large hotel in town bertha was delighted with a whimsical remembrance of her long tedious days with sarah was a real affection for her she left the children at home although they clamoured to be taken to see their old friend she felt that there was so much to talk about that she must be absolutely untrammelled how she would astonish dick when he came home as she ascended in the gorgeous elevator her mind mechanically reverted to sarah's former surroundings she was glad to be able to infer that the silver mines had proved fortunate she was shown into a private parlor equally gorgeous in its appointments she heard the sound of a laughing voice in the adjoining room and the next moment a portiere was pushed aside and sarah appeared she was dressed in a trailing silken tea-gown of deep crimson tint her hair shone like a corneal of gold there was a rosy flush on her cheeks and her eyes gleamed with merriment in her arms she held a handsome baby boy of about a year old who suddenly turned and ducked his head into his mother's neck as he saw the stranger taking hold of her hair with both hands and giving it a pull that loosened its fastenings and sent it tumbling around them both you little rogue she said his nurse has gone out for a few moments and i don't know what to do with him keep still winford two small fat black stocking feet like little puddings were kicking wildly in vain attempt to get up on her shoulder and presumably over the other side where his head and hands already were as far as possible from the strange lady sarah sat down on the sofa clasping the boy in one arm with the other she swept the tumbled hair back from her face now i can at least look at you bertha she said bertha made a movement forward to kiss her but the infant who had turned his head for furtive observation ducked back again with renewed scramblings and kicking at the first indication of her approach i think he will kill me soon said his mother resignedly where is your herbert spencer bertha couldn't help asking but at that moment the truant nurse arrived the boy still in his attitude of clutching was detached from his mamma's gown one hand and foot at a time as one separates a cat from a cushion 
as soon as this was accomplished he turned and fell upon his nurse in like manner and the sight of a round little body entirely headless with two waving black feet was bertha's last view of the heir of the bronsons the two women clasped hands impulsively and looked at each other and then they both burst into a fit of laughter deliciously inconsequent it is so perfectly ridiculous said sarah at last what asked bertha why that it is i at all it is so absurd to think that that's my baby i haven't the least idea what to do with him they both laughed again helplessly you are very happy asked bertha trying to be serious i suppose i am sometimes i think everything is topsy-turvy and i don't see straight it's all so different from the life i used to live but it's nice do you keep up your music asked bertha again after a pause i don't keep up anything i play dance music and read the newspapers i've been travelling nearly all the time since i was married will's business keeps us flying for one reason or another there are so many companies that he has to see i'm always packing or unpacking or in a pullman car and i think always that when i get through travelling i will find myself back at uncle's once more and begin to dust everything neatly you know that we go off again to-night i am so sorry you won't see my husband he'll not be back here until train time i'm sorry too said bertha i want to thank you for all you did for me in the old days pursued her hostess their positions were reversed it was she who led the conversation while bertha replied if it hadn't been for you i should never have been married at all my dear i had absolutely nothing to do with the matrimonial cyclone which swept you off said bertha laughing again yes you did you were so happy it made me very envious to see you and your husband together if it hadn't been for that i don't think i'd ever had had the courage to say yes when will asked me and you were so kind and good to me and i know i'm only a stupid thing at best you're just a dear said bertha very warmly then the two women had a long and exhaustive conversation before they finally parted she's very handsome said bertha to her husband that night he was quite interested and curious about it all she's rich and she's happy isn't she the last woman on earth you would have imagined such a romance happening to yes indeed said richard what do you suppose there is in married life to improve a girl so she's not the least in uninteresting now judge from your own experience said richard association with a superior being cannot fail you need not say any more said bertha with the scorn expected of her 
then with a sudden change of tone if she had married you darling instead of that bronson man i could have understood it no woman could help being nicer for loving you end of chapter nine recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c